Welcome to the 52 Pearls Weekly Money Wisdom Podcast. I'm Melissa Joy, a certified financial planner and founder of Pearl Planning. And I'm Melissa Friedenberg, financial advisor with Pearl Planning. Pearl Planning is a financial planning and investment management company located in Dexter and Gross Point, Michigan. We work with clients all around the country. The purpose of our podcast is to explore specific financial topics and provide advice you can use in your everyday life. Welcome back to the 52 Pearls Weekly Money Wisdom Podcast. It's Melissa Joy here today, and I am so pleased to be joined by Kathy Longo. Kathy is a certified financial planner practitioner, chartered advisor in philanthropy, and a certified divorce financial analyst. She has over 25 years of wealth management experience. She is the author of Flourish Financially, Values, Transitions, and Big Conversations, and president and founder of Flourish Wealth Management, located in Edina, Minnesota. She is the host of the Flourish Financially Challenge podcast, and we're so glad to have her here today as a guest on our show. Kathy, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to have a conversation with you today. Well, I love having my financial planner friends on for conversations about, you know, the real world of financial planning. And I think we're going to tackle a topic that everyone needs to hear about. We're looking forward to discussing understanding emotions and financial decisions, something that everyone deals with, whether they know it or not. (laughs) So true. So as we kind of dive into the conversation, and you're someone who has written extensively on this topic, someone who's really in touch with the real human um, experience of making financial decisions, I thought we could just get started with talking about how emotions fit into money talk and financial decisions, and, and why do people need to think about those emotions as they're making those decisions? Yeah, I mean, I'm so glad we're talking about this because oftentimes we think about financial planning and we think about all the technical work that we need to do, the tax work, the retirement, the investments, and there's so much more to pull the whole full picture together to really accomplish what your goals are. So when we think about the whole personal side of money, that's where we think about like our own emotions and how we make money decisions and how we communicate um, around money decisions and how we work with others around that too. So there, there's so much um, emotional, I, I don't want to call it baggage, but I mean, it is in some ways baggage that comes up when people think about um, money decisions. It could be like emotions such as like fear or maybe shame around like past decisions that they made or, you know, where they're currently at with their money. Um, Or sometimes even like really positive, like we think, oh, excitement around money might be like the greatest one to have. But what if you have like overexcitement and you're like, you know, I'll save later and I don't need to worry about that now because I've got, you know, this tremendous earning power as I, you know, move forward. So we really need to um, think about what are our own personal emotions when it comes to making financial decisions. Yeah, I, I like the analogy of a backpack instead of baggage. So you're always carrying around this backpack of your experiences up to this point and what you're going through today. And it, it can either lighten your load or be a burden, something that you really, you know, is weighs you down. Um, mm-hmm. 
And it's so true. There can be either overconfidence or anxiety or feelings of less than. We talk about financial shame all the time on this podcast, if you're a regular listener. Mm -hmm. Um, And so these are just things that we both know as technical financial planners who who love to crunch the numbers and do the work, but, but are also dealing with very personal decisions that you can't take emotions out of the equation. You need to deal with emotions as you walk through the steps of, of deciding. Mm-hmm. It's so true. And, and it's understanding your own emotions, but like when you're in a relationship too, and you're making decisions together, you need to factor in two sets of emotions and two sets of money histories that may be shaping those emotions as a couple makes decisions. Yeah, that's really tough. There are sometimes competing interests. Sometimes there's a bigger voice in the room for one person versus the other. I can say that as what oftentimes the bigger voice. Um, And so acknowledging each other's feelings and how each of you approaches things can be critical to successful money relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it takes work to really think through it because it's not something that I've seen everyone really connected to unless they've done some work on understanding their own money story and the emotions that they tend to connect with. That's a great point. So when you're in, you're doing your work with people one-on-one or in one-on-two, what do you, what do you bring up in order to talk about that topic of emotion without, you know, kind of scaring people away from the conversation? Um, So we tend to introduce that topic by discovering their personal story with money. Um, So examples like, you know, tell me about some, some early money memories that you have, messages that you received from your mother, messages that you've received from your father, Um, your best experience with like a financial decision. Um, Tell me about like the first time earning money. And through storytelling, we're able to kind of get to what the emotion was that came up for that individual and how, how like their early influences, um, Um, created their money story. That's terrific. I was just having a conversation with someone this week where they feel like they need to do some real difficult work on money changes and they needed to tell their story about why they were in the circumstances they're in before we talked about what needs to happen next. And acknowledging that story for me um, was the reflection I got back from the client was, that's what I needed to hear. I needed you to hear you to tell me that you acknowledge, you know, the reasons that we're at this point mm-hmm. are real. And, and then I'm willing to do the hard work because I feel respected and heard. Um, so it's, it's really interesting when you can bring the story that is um, unspoken mm-hmm. into the room and acknowledge it, it becomes a powerful um, tool to it, encourage people to stick with their plan. Yeah, it is so true. I think that through storytelling, they they hear something that they've not really connected to in the past. And then with couples, they're looking at it from a different perspective with each other because, um, well, I, I haven't really seen couples always sitting down and having the conversation directly or having a, somebody 
trained like a financial planner that can have this conversation with them to bring out the story and recognize like you can dig a little deeper because you you can hear the emotion or the way that they describe their experience in that time. Um, digging into the transitions too, like as they talk through different transitions that they've been been through, whether it might be somebody coming from a divorce or um, losing a spouse or like a job transition, talking through transitions with clients can also be an opportunity to learn how how they respond emotionally during that time. It's so true, and there's there's behavioral psychology studies on what happens with the transition, whether it's perceived from the outside as a very difficult or bad transition, or or perhaps a windfall, something that most from the outside world would deem as quite positive. They have very similar, you know, kind of stages of emotion, whether it's anticipatory. Could you talk about those stages a little bit? Yeah. So one, so in part of that study, so when we think about there's four stages to most transitions, Um, there's an anticipation stage, a time that you're thinking about and planning, um, you know, let's say it's um, you're planning for retirement or a job change and you anticipate, you do all your planning for it. And then all of a sudden that day comes like you pack up your office, um, items and it's an ending. So that's that next stage. You've had the ending. You're now in retirement. And then you go through this period that we call passage. And that can take years, you know, like what does retirement really look like? How will I spend my day? Like all that planning you did, hopefully it gave some indication. But until we're really in that passage period, we really don't we have to experience that to know what it's going to be like. And then we have that new normal, you know, retirement life and what that looks like. And so that's what we think about with the four stages. And so really in the only one that I can think of that doesn't come with those four stages is like a sudden death, you know, something Mm -hmm. that we weren't anticipating. And then all of a sudden you're an ending and you're having to work through that. And so when we're, we're working with people in transition, we really look to see how they're doing. Like um, we call it like a state of flow or a state of struggle. So are they feeling hopeful? Are they feeling hopeless? Are they feeling um, kind of lack of identity? You know, maybe going into that retirement, it was sooner than they were thinking. Um, and who, who, what is their new identity? Where do they spend their time? Um, so we look for emotions during that to see how people are doing with transitions and to really guide them through that process. I love the, you know, care that you take to show that it's a process and also, you know, to help people acknowledge where they're at in a process. I just talked to someone recently and, and she's going through retirement or she's retired as of a couple months ago and doing all this in the middle of pandemic. So the retirement date got shuffled around. Actually, she needed to work longer because it would take them more time to find a replacement. And at first she was very focused on the dollars and cents of retirement. And we were able to work that out. It was a happy situation where, Um, there's a lot of good opportunities and options. Um, But sometimes people substitute that focus on the dollars and cents for the the focus on what about the rest of their life and how Mm -hmm. is it going to look and feel and and telling people that they have permission to have that phase um, of passage where they, you know, it's, it's okay if it doesn't, you haven't kind of settled into what's new as that new normal for a year or two can be really powerful. 
Yeah. And, and it, sometimes I see, I mean, this is one of the struggle traits in there where it can be like a narrow minded focus or like a fractured focus where you're only focused on, you know, maybe just this one decision around the financial piece. Um, you know, I think about like a client who was selling her business and she was only focused on like the tax piece and not really looking at like the end dollar and, but she kept coming back and we couldn't move past that one point and yet we're missing like everything else. But that was just showing that um, she had started this business and it was her whole identity and she was struggling. And so she just this fractured focus in one area. So it can be like helpful to recognize um, that there's some struggle happening there and how do you like move forward and just, you know, make sure you're making the important decisions at that point. It's, it's a, um, it, it makes me think of another transition divorce where there can be hyper-focus on one particular aspect, but it might be the marital home. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to move. And there are so many other areas that are impacted by a hyper-focus on, on one particular area or may not, receive the attention that they need in a time where you don't get a lot of do-overs. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's, it's for those listening, I hope that they recognize the value of having a financial planner relationship where there is space for those conversations because you don't always get that. Sometimes it's just the technical financial planning, or it's just mm-hmm. like, how much money do you have in this account or that account? I'm happy to manage it. And yeah. if you do have the gift of a financial planner like you, Kathy, who who is working with the whole person and their whole life, not just their accounts, then you you can do really deep, meaningful work that helps you to succeed in these emotional moments. Yeah. And and you too, in terms of your financial planning work, I know you um, have very similar goals. Um but I think it's true, and the if you can flesh out those emotions, you really can connect the whole money story. And it's just such a different feeling. Like I've had people say um, in working with us, you know, they used to like dread going to the financial planner. Right. Um, it's like just, the dentist. That They said that, and I, I, <laughs> I'm not a huge fan. I do go to the dentist, but it's not my... F- I, I do dread um, that appointment. And so when somebody said that to me, like, you know, I used to think of this as the dentist. I'm like, oh, no, like, I couldn't believe people would think of the financial planner like the dentist, um, but all doing really good work. But it, you can create a whole new relationship with money. And it's so fun to see um, how empowered people can be when they connect into that emotion. And then they can use that and know, you know, yeah, you know, fear does come up for me in making decisions. But how do you start to recognize, you know, this is fear talking. So, you know, sometimes it's even, you know, when we're emotional, we can even feel it in our body. So, you know, recognizing I maybe that person tends to go to fear. Where are they feeling it in their body? How do they like kind of reframe the message and say, hey, that's just fear talking. Let's use, you know, um, the new knowledge that I just gained, um, just the different empowerment and take that and being able to move forward on financial decision making. First, as you were describing that transition from feeling like you're going to the dentist to feeling empowered with the work with a financial planner, I just don't know a feeling that's better for us as professionals than when you see that sense of relief on a client's face or hear them express that, oh, they get the process. They feel better. They can see. Because it's not something you can just show somebody. It's not a chart. Mm -mm. 
or uh, um, you know performance numbers. What it is is a, a overall feeling of of control and confidence that replaces uncertainty and fear. Mm-hmm. And so that's just a special gift when we get to um, transform that mindset with people. And then I was thinking about with that, um, the fear conversation, how sometimes there are transitions in your life, but sometimes there's just transitions in the world. So we've had this year of a pandemic where everyone had Mm -hmm. emotional reactions to both their money, their health, you know, their livelihoods. And it, it, it is critical as a practitioner to be able to communicate in a way that acknowledges and recognizes that it's natural to feel negative emotions in a time of peak uncertainty. Um, it wasn't by um, when, when we were in March and April, we had a, a friend of the firm do a guided meditation in order to have a healthy way to, to kind of um, relate to that uncertainty and acknowledge it and, and try to find a sense of, of peace or normalcy or calm. Yeah. Oh, and, and that I have seen the same thing and I felt it, you know, myself too, with all of Absolutely. the uncertainty and having to, um, for personally use, you know, different coping pieces, definitely relied more on yoga and, um, oh, did a whole mindfulness um, meditation, eight week long program right in the start of the pandemic, which I think really helped set some foundation for me, but recognizing that what's happening in our environment, how could we not absorb that? And that's the same for clients and people that we work with. And so being able to be there and help, um, help them think like, what can they control and what can they they can't control. So like recognizing just those two differences. And uh, sometimes I will see like people are willing to let go of the piece that they can't control and maybe narrow in on the things they can control, like their self-care or not making any drastic decisions around their finances. Yeah. My mantra in those situations is just like you said, focus on what you can control and you need an external. It's not going to naturally just happen. You need the external reminder. And um, we're we're human just like everyone else. So as a practitioner, I, I remember recording a, um, just kind of a self diary in March of 2020, just talking about what a rough week I'd had Uh and, you know, what my feelings were, but I've always remembered from behavioral psychology recommendations that it's important to record your emotions so that you can Mm -hmm. revisit them and have the perspective of time and, and certainly having um, been a financial professional in, in 2008 and 2009 was beneficial to my experiences and reactions this year and, and how we talk to clients as well. Yeah, I know. I found myself going back to that same 2008 period um, and just, those feelings were coming up, you know, it's again, like, there is not a, an answer that we can give other than um, just focus on the longer term picture and this too will pass. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what are some other tools that you use getting back to kind of the just general, um, we've talked about identifying emotions, we've talked about mm-hmm. telling your story. But once you have identified those emotions, how do you deal with getting through in, in, in a, in a version that is a state of flow, not a state of struggle. What, what tools do you use? 
Um, so when it's so in a situation, especially like in a transition when there's so much coming up, um, sometimes we find that it can be helpful to really lay, we call this now, soon, and later. So like lay out on a piece of paper every single thing that is on your mind, everything that you're thinking about, worried about, and then really start to break into like what 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 is really now? Because oftentimes it's not everything. And if we can focus on our priorities, we can feel like we're making some accomplishments. I I think that works in like other areas of like knowledge too, you know, so sometimes we have this fear or insecurity, but like lay out, like what's, what's one step you can take this week? Um, Maybe it's just jotting down your list of assets or maybe including all your debts too, and just understanding where you're at. Maybe it's having a, uh, a meeting with your partner. And just, you know, talking about your money story or, you know, just talking about goals, you know, what you're looking to accomplish and reviewing those numbers together. So I think that when we can break, um, think about like some small steps that we can take, we can get some momentum going and start to see some shift in the way that we approach our finances. I'm a huge fan of incrementalism. Mm-hmm. where trying to do everything all at once works just as poorly when it comes <laughs> to your money as it does with any diet or you know any other thing where you try to just radically transform in a moment. So if you can incrementally improve things or or break things down with the huge, you know, kind of thought bubble in your head of all the things you're concerned about or worried about or or want excited about want to accomplish and and make them more incremental, it it seems to have true power, especially when you're working with someone who can keep you accountable and, and be an objective kind of thinking partner. Yeah, it's so true. So um, as we're kind of wrapping up, I feel like we could talk about this all day. And I want to make sure that people are able to find more of, you know, kind of your thoughts and in, in writing on this, where can they find information about your book or about you? Um, well, probably the best site is kathylongo.com. So K-A-T-H-Y-L-O-N-G-O.com. And that'll link to some of my other resources. I, I have a podcast out there that's a really mini podcast. It's just a couple of minutes. And each week I challenge my listeners to create, to take one small step that can change their finances. Um, so it can be like, oh, working on their emergency fund, setting some financial goals, having a money conversation. Um, and then also they can learn more um, about just understanding their own values and how they can work through transitions and have those um, necessary, but sometimes uncomfortable conversations with their spouse, with their kids, with their parents in my book. So um, they can flourish financially, um, flourish financially, values, transitions, and big conversations. And they can get that on Amazon or any place that they like to buy their books. We'll make sure to have links in our show notes and I've loved this conversation. I always love catching up with you, Kathy. And Uh I'm glad that, you know, I'm glad that there are people like us that are doing, you know, kind of the real world financial advice where we we see people as humans first. Um, And I I hope that listeners hear in this conversation that their emotions don't have to be detached from their money decisions. They just have to be acknowledged. Thank you. Thanks for having this conversation. It's so important. For more information, visit pearlplan.com or our Facebook page, Pearl Planning Wealth.